0: HiFM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, good morning, good afternoon. I am sitting in Taipei at the moment for some strange reasons. But anyway, I'm bringing you the show over the wonderful Internet. Love technology when it works, and it really does work well. This is quite the technological city. It's unbelievable just the sheer level of connectivity and the wonder of uh, how well technology has been used in a country to create the most insane stuff that you can ever imagine. But anyway, back to uh, South Africa and Tech Talk right here on High FM. Interesting week we're having in South Africa, apart from all the politics, which we're not going to discuss. You must listen to the morning show for that. But uh, we're talking all about technology. And one of the sort of stories that broke this week, which is really, really, really interesting – is that multi-choice Africa will list they're going public and they're unbundling from the whole um group that they're part of the NASPERS group. And it's just very, very interesting that in this time when everyone's having these discussions about should they drop their DSTV subscription, is the DSTV subscription worth it? You know, streaming is becoming more and more mainstream across pretty much the world and certainly in South Africa as broadband as internet connectivity improves and as our streaming ability improves, um, people are asking the question: is there room for a company such as DSTV or multi-choice as they call themselves? Well I think a lot of a lot of what people forget in the whole discussion around whether they should drop their DSTV subscription or not is that What is it that multi-choice actually does? And if you're keen, you can go and look at their prospectus. Go to the DSDV or multi-choice website. Go and have a look at their perspective. Go and have a look at quite how much money they spend on local programming, on sport, in many ways. If it wasn't for multi-choice sport, in this country would be in a very, 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 very different place to where it is now. And the amount of money, I mean, it's all commercial. There's no question that they spend this money in order to get the content and the stuff that they need with regard to what they broadcast. But the simple fact is that multi choice owns the brand such as DSTV, Mnet, Supersport, and now Showmax. Showmax, interestingly enough, now that it's all unbundled, is definitely not making any money. In fact, it's losing money. And yet, Multi-Choice maintain that ShowMax, which is their own streaming platform in competition to Netflix, is definitely something that they're going to continue supporting. They're very happy with the performance up to this point. But if you're keen to get into this uh, sector and you've got a little bit of money to spend, you want to invest in a company – I must tell you, I'm not giving investment advice, but I think that DSTV, Multi-Choice, SuperSport, the whole online environment, and we'll talk about that later. In fact, the gadget, well, not gadget, my app of the week, which we'll talk about, is DSTV Now, which is Multi-Choice's DSTV streaming app. So you can stream DSTV to your phone, you can stream it to your TV, you can stream it to your computer. So... And pretty much everything's on demand. All the movies and all their live programming can be watched. Not from, I tried, interestingly, they geo-lock it. So I couldn't watch any DSTV from China or from Taiwan. But there's no question that they are moving quite strongly into the streaming market on one level or another. And the best news is that in the next couple of years, you may not even need a decoder. Why would you need a decoder if you've got an app on the TV? Which will allows you to watch the entire DSTV bouquet, whatever it is that you subscribed for, uh, without any decoder, without any satellite. So we are definitely seeing a sea change in the way that people consume TV and DSTV listed or not, but definitely the whole multi-choice value proposition certainly doesn't look a lot, um, less interesting and My sense, quite honestly, is that satellite TV is just a no-brainer for most people. There's no Internet connection needed. There's no uh, cables. There's no wires. You get professionals to install it. The decoder is pretty simple to use. And the programming, we'll discuss, you know, we can argue about the price of it, but the programming is pretty extensive, and it certainly does bring a wealth of entertainment, sport, you name it, into the home in a, in a convenient, easy-to-consume package. So I don't think that uh, DSTV or NASPERS or whatever they want to – well, NASPERS own it. But I don't believe these guys are going anywhere. Multi-choice will continue for many, many, many years. And I think it could be a really interesting thing. But just very interesting to see that they are actually going onto the stock exchange as a standalone – and um, they're going to be hopefully valued at uh, quite a huge amount of money. I mean, they turned over 47 billion rand in the last to the end to the year ended 31st of March 2018. So, they're a significant business, and they're a significant player in the entertainment space in South Africa, both you know, sport and standard sort of video entertainment. So, watch the space. I think we're going to see some interesting things coming from NASPERS, uh and from DSTV. As we go forward, and let's uh, wait and see what happens there. Now, another interesting little bit of news, which we'll come back to straight after this quick message from our sponsors, is WhatsApp. They're making some changes to fight fake news. So we'll be back straight after this. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back. And um, as I was saying, there's been a lot of talk around fake news, the dissemination of fake news. I mean, we live in a crazy country where all sorts of rumors and whatnot get sent out via all sorts of these social media platforms. And one platform that's been used quite extensively to um, share info and news is WhatsApp. And with immediate effect, WhatsApp have changed the way you can forward messages. So you can now only forward the number, basically you can only forward a single message to five people. And this is in a massive attempt to stop false information spreading. So you can't basically forward to your whole phone book like you used to. And, um, they they piloted this in India last year because there was a string of mob attacks in the country and a lot of them were blamed on fake reports that were spread via WhatsApp, which is crazy to think that um, so many countries around the world and so many people are just using a, a messaging platform to send out these type of things. But essentially, um, right now, you can only – starting now, you should only be able to forward a single message to five people – Whereas before, you could forward it up to 20 people at a time. And I'm not sure if that's the answer to fake news, but it's good that Facebook and WhatsApp and all these guys are starting to take the the dissemination of this type of stuff really, really seriously. I think it's a symptom or rather a fix to a symptom of a problem that's far wider. But it's good news to see that that's exactly what is going on. People are taking it seriously. They're restricting the way that you can disseminate this type of stuff. But as usual, just really, I think we all need to be very aware that just because you received a WhatsApp from someone, just because you saw a Facebook post from someone that you know, doesn't always mean that it's actually or true live news so or real news, so use a little bit of careful consideration before forwarding anything to anybody uh, or and uh, taking you know reading the sort of stuff that you read and on that note, quite interestingly, um, this last week also brought an, a, a crazy amount of nonsense regarding to the internet. Zimbabwe became one of the latest African countries to shut down the internet, and i 've been asked by a number of people whether this is something that could possibly happen in South Africa. Well, chaos absolutely ensued in um, Zimbabwe after the recent massive price hikes of fuel, and the government's response was to shut the Internet down almost in its entirety. What is interesting is that there are only eight providers of Internet in, or eight main providers of Internet in Zimbabwe, and they all received a notification to shut down uh, from the government, which has subsequently been overturned by the courts there, and the Internet is back up and running, even though they did bring it back, but restrict all the social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram and that in many, many, many ways. Well, the good news is, for if anyone's wondering, in South Africa there are close to three or 400 different ISPs or in controlling the internet. It's not to say that that could not happen in South Africa, but in but it is extremely, extremely unlikely that we could land up in a situation where the internet could be shut down. But it just shows you how vulnerable we are to the whole um, internet. It's unbelievable how the internet and access to the internet is so taken for granted. It's on our phones, it's at home. vast majority of us have some internet access at some point. And imagine a situation where the government could simply say, no more internet, no communication, no business. The impact in Zimbabwe was massive because they don't actually have a currency. So all payments went through their their sort of online uh, system using their bond notes and whatever. So shutting down the internet essentially shut the country down, which is quite, quite a draconian step. But anyway, it seems to be... Back up and running for now, and uh, let's hope they get their act together. But the chance of it happening in South Africa is not very great, and um, lots of ways to get around uh, eight providers, but not 300 or 400 as we have here. The other major story that's been sort of bringing a lot of uh, attention to all sorts of things is that globally there has been a massive slowdown in smartphone sales. First was... Um, Apple, who mentioned that they had lost or got their turnover had dropped by $9 billion uh, on mostly Chinese iPhone sales, whereas other parts of their business have grown. Next to report that was Samsung, also reported that their smartphone sales are down. And very simply, you know, all this massive sort of hype and Everything giving you know all the people out there giving advice to to Apple about how they should run their business and they can 't simply expect people to fork over thousands of dollars for cell phones anymore misses i think misses the point to a large extent, very simply put there are. Billions upon billions of smartphones in the market. The vast majority of them, vast majority of phones in the market do a very adequate job of making phone calls, connecting to the internet, doing everything that needs to be done. Um, As you can hear, as you can hear, I'm (laughs) in a boardroom with a, a Chinese phone working. But anyway, back to, back to the story of smartphones. Bottom line is most people have got a smartphone. Most people's smartphones work extremely well. There has been no revolutionary improvement or change or need. And the average life of cell phones has definitely extended beyond the nine, six to nine months that at one stage people were replacing their phones at. In fact, Apple also reported a really interesting fact that they supplied, they expected to repair or supply. They did a whole battery uh, since their last you know, problem with slowing down processes to protect battery life. They offered really low-cost battery upgrades to the to their owners, and they supplied over 10 million uh, batteries when they expected to supply two million. And that basically gave a massive lease of life. And in fact, if you've got an iPhone 6, it's probably working just fine, running the latest operating system. There's nothing it can't do. And with a brand-new battery, it probably lasts the entire day, and there's no real, real reason to upgrade. So, so we really are sitting in a position where there's no major, although this year is going to show lots of brand-new cell phones in the next couple of months. It's cell phone season coming shortly. But essentially, the the cell phone market is extremely mature in most countries around the world. People have owned them. They're not replacing them as quickly as, as they did in the past And um, no question that companies like Apple, Samsung, in fact, all the major manufacturers of cell phones are going to have to think long and hard about what they do in order to keep their businesses growing and keep, you know, us as subscribers or or purchasers of their product uh, interested and wanting to upgrade. It's it's really quite a tough market globally. There's also been a slowdown in um, in smartphone in 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 smartphone sales again. Because the general market is not proving to be as big as it was. So watch this space. Hopefully, there's going to be some great, great, great new phones coming, which may convince you to buy new phones in the next couple of uh, couple of months. But before we get onto some more interesting news and reviews, we have another quick break for our sponsors. Talk, talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back and after all that, well, I don't know, call it good news, call it bad news, call it whatever you want. Smartphone business is definitely a challenging one. Um, in mm-hmm. South Africa certainly. iPhone has never been as big as as other countries around the world, mainly because of the price, I think for the most part. And um, interestingly enough in Europe and in Europe and some other places iPhone has perhaps not been as big as it is in America and the East, but the simple fact is that we really do live in a world where smartphones are ubiquitous and we don't need to change them quite as fast as we used to, even though pretty hard to imagine working in any country or anywhere without some form of connectivity and smartphone um, in your hands. Now, back to Gadget of the Week, my fun. And guess what we're talking about this week? We're talking about two very, very interesting new smartphones that have come across my desk. One I've been using for about a month now, and it's extremely, extremely interesting. Um, It's extremely interesting how um, keyboards have never really, really gone out of fashion, And the new BlackBerry Key 2 was launched in December in South Africa and globally. And it's an incredibly polarizing phone. One, it's absolutely fantastic to haul it out, put it on the desk, show people that keyboard phones still exist. And then you land up having this conversation about who would want to use these phones, who would want a keyboard on a phone anymore. But the BlackBerry Key 2 is one of the nicest smartphones that I've used. I'm a big, unfortunately, for me, maybe it's just harking back to the good old days. But BlackBerry have always had – I've always had a soft spot for BlackBerry, especially since they moved to the Android operating system. So the new Key2 is uh, an upgrade on the older Key1, Um And they've improved absolutely every part of it. The keyboard is vastly superior. They've improved the spacing. It's physically pretty much the same size and shape. Um, And the screen is a slightly higher resolution. But they've made two key improvements. The first one is they've increased the RAM. That's the memory that the um, Android operating system needs to uh, 6 gig, which really makes the phone much smoother, much more fluid, and much easier to work with. In conjunction, they've improved the processor considerably to one of the latest Qualcomm processors, and that, again, has improved the performance wonderfully. So it's it's right up to date. It's a fresh, clean, well-thought-out phone with two, for me, advantages if you're in that market. The cameras are now dual cameras, very good quality. I must say I've enjoyed using it to take pictures. The screen is somewhat smaller than you would imagine, but... Remember that the keyboard is fixed. It's at the bottom, and you don't have to worry about a keyboard popping up on your screen. So there's more than adequate um, space. Also, the keyboard is a scroll pad. So in other words, you don't actually have to touch the screen. When you open up a, an email or a web page, you can scroll through it by simply swiping up and down sideways on the keypad itself, which is quite a nice little trick. The keys are clicky, solid, really makes a huge, huge, huge difference. I was, I must say, I'm very, very, um, impressed with the overall, um, usability. The other thing is that, and, um, Android running on the key, on the key two is really the latest version of Android and Blackberry have always been extremely secure. So their overlay. The Blackberry Hub, which is completely unique. You can download it on Android phones other than the, uh, the, uh, Key 2. But I found that when you download the, the sort of the app on other phones, it doesn't quite work as seamlessly as when it's built in or built into the operating system as directly as Android have done with a Key 2. So, it's, it also has one other little advantage that in this day of madly priced phones, you can pick up a Key2 between nine and 11,000 Rand, which is not inexpensive, but for the quality of the the build, the quality of the camera, the fact that it's got a keyboard uh, makes quite a huge difference. And it's very well priced. comes with a decent set of earbuds. And overall, the experience of using the BlackBerry um, Key2 is really, really a good experience. It's very much... Do you need a keyboard? Do you want a keyboard? Is it something that you want to play with? But the built-in security that, that very offer you is unparalleled. I don't think there's any other platform that's quite as well thought out, quite as secure. So they've aimed this, this phone directly at, I think, business people, organizations who want something that's extremely secure, extremely easy to use, and overall, the keyboard makes typing and dealing with uh, long emails an absolute pleasure. Your muscle memory kicks in really quickly, and you learn to use all the shortcuts. Every key can be a shortcut, so you hold, hold down Alt and any key, and that pops whatever program you want it to. Up to date, you're running a really good version of, um, of Android, not the latest version 9 as yet, but certainly 8. Um, 8.1, I think it was. And it's just a solid, good quality phone um, from the get go it's well built fast fluid it's not for gamers, it certainly doesn't have a screen big enough certainly wouldn't use it as a video video uh, playback type device but overall, in all other respects, I must tell you if you if you're harking for a keyboard of any nature and you do spend a lot of time on productivity apps, writing emails um, Editing documents on your phone, just from a general usability point of view, I find the new BlackBerry Key2 to be really, really, really good. They've picked a, a bit of a sweet spot in the in the price range of of phones, um, and it it really does offer great security and the only keyboard in the in the in the market. And interestingly enough, the fingerprint scanner is in the space key. So if you touch the space key. It unlocks the phone. So no fancy, you know, iris readers and whatnot. It really is a solid, dependable, well-specced, and I think reasonably well-priced smartphone for business people and for those that absolutely love, um, love the fact that it's got a physical keyboard, which is fast and furious and actually a lot more accurate than anyone would ever imagine. So that is the Blackberry Key 2. Another Interesting phone that crossed my uh, desk, which is quite uh, a change from everything else is our friends at Samsung. Samsung have brought out a brand new, also released late December, but available now pretty much anywhere. And again, at that sort of 12,000 Rand sweet spot, because most high-end cell phones are now pushing the 18 to 20,000 Rand range, which is quite a significant amount of money. And Many of them, their claim to fame is the quality of the camera, the quality of the screen, uh, all sorts of amazing technical abilities like processes with uh, AI built in and you name it. But for the vast majority of people, it's maybe one step too far. What you're looking for is a solid, good quality phone with a decent camera, lovely screen and all the bells and whistles that keep you up to date. And I think Samsung with their new Galaxy A9 um have just picked a bunch of really interesting sort of features that may just do the trick. The A9 has four cameras, which is quite interesting. So it's got three cameras on the rear and um it's got well sorry, it's got four cameras on the rear, excuse me, and two and one on the front. So it's got an ultra-wide camera. An uh, 8 megapixel wide wide angle camera on the rear. It's got a telephoto camera. It's got a its standard main camera, which is a 24 megapixel, which is very very high resolution. And then it's got an additional depth camera, which I'm not quite sure how this all works. But computational photography on smartphones has become a huge huge thing. In many ways, using the processor, using algorithms, using computers to actually Take the the input from three to more, two to three to four cameras, put it all together and come up with amazing pictures that you just could not take with a single camera or with any camera for that matter has become quite a trick. And Samsung have done a great job with this. They've taken four cameras and for whatever the users may be, zooming, low light, um, taking pictures all over the show, it is just Oh, really, 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 I've used it briefly. I didn't spend a lot of time with it yet, but there are some amazing AI functions like scene optimizer. There's 19 different modes to, to do it to take, you know, to take pictures and it'll even tell you, oh, someone might have blinked. So you need to take the picture again. So there's some absolutely amazing features in the camera. It's very, very, uh, well-built. It's a 6.3-inch infinity display, which uh, is quite high resolution, not absolutely the highest resolution out there, but it looks far more expensive than, than it, it, it costs. It certainly has an edge-to-edge screen high resolution with quite a large battery. I must say the battery life is pretty good. And it also comes with 128 gigs of internal memory, which is really nice. You can expand it with an SD card, which is something that uh, our the Apple friends can never do. Nothing ever expands inside an Apple device. But certainly you can double that, or you can more than double it, to 512 gig. And let me tell you something. If you do a lot of um, picture-taking, watch a couple of movies or videos on your phone – Uh, You run out of memory really, really, really quickly. It has a Qualcomm mid-range processor. This is where the compromise comes in. Not that I found there was much of a slowdown. It certainly worked extremely well. It also has 6 gig of RAM, which is something, just to put that in perspective, the 128 gig storage is where your pictures and documents and all the other things sit. The RAM is what the processor and the operating system use to put information on your screen, and to actually make the phone work. And Android always traditionally needs a little bit more than iOS, and 6 gig is quite a significant amount. So we now definitely up in the 6 to 10 gig range for most sort of medium to high-end phones, and it makes a difference. Things, apps open quickly, things move smoothly, there's very little... um, Lag, no matter what you do. I've tried a couple of really good games. It works quite nicely. Running Android 8 and um, Samsung say their new One UI, which is coming out in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, will be available, which makes things much easier to use, much smoother to use, and much slicker. I've seen demos of it. I haven't tried it yet. But I will try it in the next little while and let you know whether it's worth the upgrade. But that will come along with Android 9. Which is the latest version of Android. It also has a three and a half millimeter um, headphone jack, so you don't have to worry about little adapters and dongles. So it's a very, very um, well thought out, very high quality looking device um, that really works extremely well. The screen is bright. It works extremely fast. The fingerprint reader is well, well placed and central on the rear. So overall, uh, I think Samsung have come up with a bit of a winner here. Um, obviously next week, well, not next, next month, they're launching the brand new Galaxy S10 range, which there's been a ton of leaks about. But again, that's going to be a very high priced 18 to 20,000, if not some more, uh, you know, more than that. The, the price leaks have been well into the 20,000 rand range. In terms of a flagship phone. But this new A9 certainly does look like a, a contender for a really high quality phone with, for the photography focused people. And so far I must say that the, the, the pictures and the ability of the camera to really extract amazing photos from pretty much any situation is, is pretty good. So check it out. You can get it pretty much anywhere. Um, that Samsung has sold, and um, uh, have a look at the new mid-range A series. I think they've really done a, a, an interesting and well thought-out update, and brings their phones right back into contention in the sort of upper mid mid-range because 11 grand is not exactly uh, inexpensive, but certainly available. Hello, Stephen. Oh, okay. Siri has just decided to. Um, Sirius just decided to interrupt me with some hello Stevens but anyway that's just computers for you. We will be back straight after this with a couple of gadgets and gizmos and some app recommendations um, once i'm back straight after this. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose 11 to 12 p.m. only on 101.9 FM. Well welcome back. Um so to wrap it up, mid-range phones have really hit the point today where between, I would say, 9 and 11,000 Rand is the sweet spot for the latest technology, some of the best cameras on the market, and you're getting close to 80 to 90% of the quality of the real high-end phones, and you really need to ask yourself, do you want you know the ultimate in low light photography, the ultimate in the best quality screen, and the end the build quality of the very, very best phones on the market and If the answer is yes, absolutely the flagships do bring you the latest and the greatest and the best. But all the manufacturers, from Blackberry to Samsung to Huawei have got a really solid range of mid sort of mid tier type products that have cutting edge looks. My personal pick in this sort of space is definitely the Nokia range. They are substantially cheaper than pretty much all the other mid-range phones on the market with excellent quality. They are compromises. You don't have the same processor quality. You don't have the same screen resolutions and brightness. The cameras are not perhaps quite as good in low light or in in fast-moving, you know, objects and giving you that absolutely perfect picture. But generally, you'll find these phones are more than good enough for everyday use. And that's back to the same problem that uh, Apple, Samsung, and all the high-end manufacturers are experiencing. It's becoming really difficult to say, to justify, double the cost of a phone when you can buy yourself really excellent quality, well-built glass front and back, aluminium-framed, four-camera phones like the new Galaxy um, A9 at almost half the price of its major flagship brethren. So watch this space. It's really interesting. The S10 is releasing on the 20th 20th of uh, February and should be quite a technological blockbuster. There are some incredible uh, rumors floating around regarding batteries that charge in 15 minutes from naught to full, some incredible screen technologies and that sort of stuff. Um, so there are lots and lots of different, you know, new technologies coming that should be really impressive, Processes that have got double AI and you name it. So lots coming in this space, but uh, as I said, Mid-range, certainly not second best anymore. You're definitely getting more value for money than you ever did in the past. Now, moving back to my um, app of the week, two apps uh, are going to be of note or I've picked up that I've really been using. If you're an F&B customer um, it's time and you don't use online banking, and you haven't got the f app on your, your smartphone, I would highly suggest you should stop living in the 2000s and move in to the 2020s with, with the FNB app. It's, it's one of the, the better banking apps out there, and if you're a, a customer, there's no reason not to use it. But what F&B have announced this week, they are bringing QR code payments to its banking app. So if you've used Snapscan or Zappo or any one of those, f is now introducing both consumer and merchant QR code payments to its banking app. So if you're a merchant, you can simply put up a sign with a QR code saying pay here. And um, if you're a customer, you simply scan it and pay through your your banking app. No longer do you have to type in all the information to pay someone. You just use the camera and the app to scan the QR code, put in the amount, and pay the merchant. They're using MasterPass, which is MasterCard's digital payment service, to offer the functionality. Not that that's particularly relevant to anyone. But you'll be able to it's, – it's just great for – you know, you don't for, – for example, if you're a small merchant, you're a little coffee shop, you don't want to go through the expense of having a credit card machine um, or rather get involved in the whole business of setting up a credit card. Great for flea markets. That's where SnapScan and um, – those guys have really done well, is now you can, it's now really a mainstream uh, activity. You just scan it. FNB say they have 2.8 million users uh, on the app. Push it to make it a few more. And it's just convenient and secure, and you don't have to carry cash. These days, I must say, uh, cash is quite a dangerous business. But all you need to do is enable the new app, um, scan to pay widget on your smartphone, Widgets work on Android, not so much on iOS. Um, otherwise, you just select the payment option on the FNB app, log in, and then scan to pay. Click scan to pay, and um, off you go. And this will work for anything. So you can use it anywhere. It's much easier to use than most um, other apps, and it's it's simple. Use the QR code to pay. It'll. It, you can even email uh, the QR code to a customer of yours and the customer will take his app, pay it through the QR code. All the information's there. It's all safe. They don't have to look for your banking details. I think it's just clever and I think it's smart and I think it's definitely going to make a lot, life a lot easier. Just as an aside, QR code payments in China, Taiwan, where I am now, is just huge. It's absolutely huge. Everyone uses QR codes to pay. You don't have to worry about sending your bank details to anyone. It's safe and secure and uh, works like an absolute bomb. The other app that um, I think uh, I was surprised a lot of people don't know about it, but if you're a DSTV premium subscriber, and even if you're not a DSTV premium scri- subscriber, if you subscribe to any DSTV uh package and you have it on your decoder at home, there is an app for that, which a lot of people don't seem to realize Exists. It's called DSTV Now. So all you need to do is go to the Apple App Store or to the Google Play Store, and you can download the DSTV Now app. Um, if you're not registered, you can register on the DSTV website. And then all you need to do is log in um, to the app, and you will find the entire service that you pay for on your decoder available on your smartphone, on your tablet, And in fact, you can log in directly on your computer. So wherever you are, you can watch DSTV. I think they allow up to four concurrent devices to be connected at any point in time. So you can watch it in the bedroom, you can watch it on holiday, on wherever you are. They've also announced that for Samsung and for LG smart TVs, there's a DSTV Now app as well. So you can load them up on your smart TV. They will run in HD, which is great. And you can watch all your DSTV without a decoder. And, and it's absolutely perfect for traveling, going to, ho- going on holiday, watching your latest sport. As I said, I tried <laughs> in preparation for the show to watch some DSTV from Taiwan and they told me it's not available in my country, which is quite interesting. So they geolock it to South Africa, obviously for licensing reasons. But essentially, if you're traveling within the country, if you want to watch something at work, at home, without, um, you know, if, let's say the main TV is being used by the kids to watch cartoons, as often happens, you can now use the DSTV Now app to watch your favorite sport, You catch up on all your, your movies, all your series, on your computer, on your tablet, on your phone, or even on another TV in the house without the necessity of having a separate decoder. Now, on that note, I'm going to end the show just a little bit early today, unfortunately. I've got to be up and about, and it's uh, already quarter to six here in Taiwan. So until next week, this is Stephen Ambrose for, Hi- for Tech Talk, right here on Chai signing out. And I'll be back with all the news, the reviews, and some of the latest gadgets, same place, same time, right here on Chai FM.